Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. I'm out this week, but Andy is here, and he is sharing a conversation with all of you that he recently had with Dr. Amanda Donnelly. For those of you who don't know Amanda, she is a sought-after speaker, she's a consultant, and she's an author with over 30 years of experience in veterinary medicine. She's a second-generation veterinarian, and she specializes in leadership, team development, and client communications. I have heard Amanda speak on more than one occasion. I love her topics. I love her passion for communication, for managing, and leading our teams. And you know that that is Andy's wheelhouse as well. So I can't wait to listen to this conversation between the two of them. And they are talking about a new book that Amanda has birthed called Leading and Managing Veterinary Teams. We'll drop the link to uh, the book in the show notes so that you can get your copy. I can't wait to read this one. And I can't wait to listen to the conversation that Andy and Amanda had. Let's get into this. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Amanda Donnelly. How are you? I'm great. Good to see you, Andy. It's good to see you. Uh, You are, first of all, you, I I told you when when you hopped on the podcast, you are, you just look happy and and radiant and just, you just seem to be uh, living your best life. You've got so much going on. For those who don't know you, um... I have known you a, a long time. You have been someone that I have looked up to since I was in vet school and uh, you were um, a practice manager then. You've been the speaker of the year for practice management at VMX twice. Yeah. Um, you, you, uh, you have a DVM, so you're a doctor, you practice, you have an MBA as well. You are a, um, what is it, certified? You, you, with uh, the AHA VMI, you are oh, yeah, a... VM, yeah, the VMI. I'm a graduate the, of VMI. Graduate of VMI. You just, uh, you have your brand new book out, which you sent me a copy of, which thank you very much. And I have, uh, I have actually snapped some photos of some of the tables in here and texted them to people like, oh, this is what you need. Because uh, like, there's such useful stuff. And I'll just be like, this is, this uh, is, well, this thank is fantastic. You. So yeah. your book is called Leading and Managing Veterinary Teams, The Definitive Guide to Veterinary Practice Management. I think this, I like this book a lot. This is rock solid stuff. It is super practical and super useful. And, uh, and I just wanted to bring you on and talk a bit about, um, about the book, first of all. But then second of all, um, I, w- I want to get into some, to some practice management stuff with you. I'm a big uh, team training advocate, and I am, uh, I'm seeing the world and how it's changing. And I want to I I unpack some stuff with you, and I want to look into your crystal ball about where you think the future is going and what our teams are going to look like. Sound yeah. good? Yeah, sounds great. Tell, tell me, just start out real broad, high level. How did you get into, into management consulting and management writing and speaking? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, the one thing you didn't mention, which is um, uh, is that I'm a second generation veterinarian. Grew up in my dad's practice. And so, uh, you know, from the time I was nine years old, I'm going with dad to, you know, to, to see uh, pets and whatnot. So then I went on to veterinary school and I did practice for about 15 years, loved it. About half mm-hmm. of that was general practice and half of it was emergency medicine. And when it came time to leave emergency medicine, because, you know, that kind of takes its toll on you. I had a short stint in corporate America as a um, professional services veterinarian. And then I sort mm-hmm. of had this crossroads and I didn't really, I loved emergency medicine, but you know, all nights and weekends, that's not yeah. great. And I didn't really want to go to back to that. And I always had this love of business. And I, I think that really is because of dad, you know, knowing, seeing how he ran a business and whatnot. So I had business and 
I have to say, and I also have to credit my dad for this, which I did in the book, is, you know, I, I did inherit his gift of gab, and <laughs> I love to speak. You know, I was in speech and debate in high school. So it was this natural evolution to go to speaking and training and then pair that up with consulting. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, that, you know, also involves article writing and whatnot. So that was that was the path to, to getting involved in practice management. And so I was involved in practice management with all the practices that I worked at. Uh, but then ultimately started my own business, I guess, in I'm going to say 2006. Mm -hmm. uh, so ever since then, I've been doing speaking, consulting, training, writing, all of the all of the above. Yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. I said I I that's exactly I, I that I that I met you right at the beginning when you were doing some consulting stuff because that's uh, I was in vet school coming out at that point and uh, and you were well established and blossoming and like I just remember being so impressed with you and and have have stayed that way uh have stayed that way since then. Let's let's talk a little bit about the book. How did you get inspired to to write this book? Why were you? I mean, what what led you to the place of like I'm going to sit down and write? A, I would say you say it's the definitive guide at. 300 pages. I'd say, yeah, it's, 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 and they're large pages. It's pretty legit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, originally, you know, others asked me to write the book and to be perfectly honest, when I took this project on, um, I really didn't appreciate how mammoth it was it's because huge. You know, I write articles. And so I'm like, you know, it's just like writing a bunch of articles and then it will, you know, it's, it's, it'll be these chapters and it'll end, end up being a book. And um, honestly, if it hadn't been for the pandemic, I don't know how I ever would have gotten it done. It's and amazing. so, um, so, so basically, what ended up happening is I knew I had a lot to say because I thought I could take all of my practical experience and knowledge, and then of course do additional research and come up with you know um, a practical book. Uh, it's just the the time it takes to do that. I didn't really appreciate. But then when the pandemic hit it was this sort of perfect scenario of like, you know, all, now I'm not traveling. And so I had time to write the book, but the whole concept of the book was always to be practical, uh, accessible, something that someone could read a chapter and, and have key takeaways, be able to do something. And so the, the, th the three themes of the book are culture, communication, and leadership. Mm -hmm. And so the core of the book is all about that. But I didn't I don't feel like you can lead and manage a team if you don't understand some financial management, some operational yeah. management and marketing. And so that those are those last chapters, hence the title, the definitive yeah. guide to veterinary practice management. So it is, uh, you know, a holistic. It includes chapters on all topics, uh, but it's very much about culture, leadership, communication is, is yeah. and practical information. Well, it's super practical. Um, you know, you've got recruiting and hiring team members up at the front. Up front, you've got a beautiful. You've got tables of legal questions and illegal questions, which are like super useful. And people don't know them. And the things that I see happening in hiring sessions, you just go Ooh! and then and then as someone who's recently been hiring uh, some employees, I'm like. You know, there's a lot that I don't know, and I would really like to just uh, check. But like, it's just broken out so nicely. I, I flipped to the uh, operations channel, and our uh, operations channel, operations chapter, and yeah. you've got uh, you've got appointment scheduling, you've got discharge, you've got um, leading effective team meetings, you've got uh, writing SOPs, you have SOP templates. I was like, it's this is your brain uh, processed yeah, and yeah. put down. I mean, it really is. I, I just. Um, Man, and there's not, in my opinion, there's not a, 
there's not a lot of this content that people uh, out there that people can get. And I see it all the time and people say, what's your SOP for this? And how do you do these things? And do you have training on how to set this stuff up? And I'm like, man, this is about the slickest resource that I have seen that is just really down in the weeds. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it does come with, um, at this point, it's 16 downloadable documents, like you said, an SOP template and a training checklist and, and, and on and on. And all of those downloadable documents, people can go to my website, you know, when they just get the password from the book and go to my website and be able to download those. And my plan is anytime I want a new document, I'll just upload it to that page, you know, <laughs> nice. so people will get, you know, more bonuses, you know, over time. So yeah, well, thank you. I, I, uh, I appreciate the feedback. Well, no, this is, anyway, this is not a sponsored podcast. I'm not, I'm not selling your book. I, 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 I have no stake in it. I just, I think it's, I, I really am impressed with what you put out. Um, I want to dig into the leading effective team meeting and, um, and team building with you. Cause that, that's okay. an area that you're talking about a lot. It's an area that, that I am hearing a lot about out in the world in vet medicine. So let's go ahead and start to talk. What do you think? I, I, I have strong feelings on this, but I'm, I'm going to let, I'm going to let you unpack it first. Uh, biggest challenges in the area of team building today for your individual practices. Well, now, when you say team building, Andy, do you mean team building as far as, you know, the components of training that, you know, build the team so we have a trained team? Or do you mean Mm -hmm. simply team building in terms of bringing everybody together and working well together? Because those are a little bit different. Okay, so um, I I like so that's a good good distinction. I see challenges in both of them. Which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, are you talking about do you want to talk about cohesion? Or do you want to talk about training first? Let's talk about training first okay. because I think that well, I don't think I know that that has been I the one of the greatest challenges the last two years because of all the turnover being short staffed hiring new people so it's like wait a minute now we have these new you know team members but they're not trained and training as you know has always been a challenge in our profession and not something that we've necessarily done well in our profession uh so let's start there which you know how do you how do you make training better because you can have a team that works well together, but if they're not trained to actually do their job, you know, yeah. that's that's not going to go well. No. And, and you see that. There's a lot of happy teams and people get along well. They just, they're not running systems. They're stepping on each other's toes. And, and they don't, what's funny is those people don't generally recognize that training is the issue. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think, I, I think that's true. Or they sort of throw up their arms maybe to some extent because it can be so overwhelming. So it's like, yeah. well, we need everybody to be trained, but well, who has time for that? So it ends up being a lower priority when in reality, it should be one of the greatest priorities. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I also completely agree with your, your challenges. Uh, the, the, the high turnover, the being short staffed, the having so much work coming in that it's, it's one of those terrible, you know, death spirals where you don't train because you're busy, which completely makes the fact that you're untrained worse, which then gives you less time to train because you're wildly inefficient, which makes you more frustrated and more burned out, which just leads us down this problem. Uh, I really like your analysis of um, it's scary and it's hard to get your hands around and know where to start. For those practices out there that go, hey, we're not maybe working as well together as we could, or we're not communicating or using systems or, or protocols. We're not, our people aren't training yeah. like we want. And we're absolutely swamped 
what advice do you give to help people to get their head straight and start to unpack where they are? Because again, I, I, I 100% can empathize with the idea that there, everyone needs some training and we need so many systems. I don't even know where to start and I'm, I'm tired. Help, help me get my head around that. Help somebody start to take action in a, in a useful way. Yeah. And, and that's the great question is what do you do? It's like, well, I don't have time to train and then everybody's not trained. Well, well I don't have time to train. It's that vicious circle that you're kind of mm. referencing. And honestly, one of my biggest recommendations is that less is more. Uh, so okay. it's sort of counterintuitive. And so yeah. what I mean about less is more is have is two, probably two key takeaways. One is to have short training sessions. I mean, it could be 15 minutes, which I can give okay. a couple of examples. So 15, 30, 60 minutes max, mm -hmm. and for that to have a laser focus. So what happens is historically, you know, we would do training perhaps at the monthly staff meeting. We'd have maybe a lunch and learn from a vendor or somebody internally, one of the doctors might, you know, review a topic. And some practices don't even do their monthly meetings. So the question is, well, when are we supposed to do training? So what I've always advocated, or particularly, you know, now in these in the times since the pandemic started, is to, yes, you do have to make some blocks on the schedule, but it could be a, even just a 30-minute block, and it doesn't have to be for the entire team. It might be just for these three new people or just the technical team or just some CSRs, and then, you know, we cover for those 30 minutes. And so we have short sessions that we might only schedule, say, three times a week, even twice a week. I was telling my clients during the pandemic, just 30 minutes to do some training twice a week, you'll slowly make progress. But then the second part of less is more is to have that laser focus. And that's about saying, well, what's our greatest priority? Is it exam room skills? Is it dealing with angry clients? Is it, you know, making sure that our team, we have team members who know how to do uh, a specific technical task, whether that's radiographs, setting catheters, drawing blood, whatever it is. So we, we have a laser focus and then that will start helping us towards making some progress. So those, yeah. those are the first two aspects to chunk it down so it's not this overwhelming project. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that a lot. Let's, let's dig into the laser focus part a bit. When people start to say, but I don't know how to teach people to deal with angry clients in 15 minutes. Like, what does that, what does that look like? What is a 15-minute training session? Because I think a lot of us think that more is more. And there's, yeah. there's a lot to cover yeah. here. And so this, it takes as long as it takes. And, and, and I know I'm sort of a completionist, so I, I know I wrestle with that too. Help me get my head into a healthy place there to, to figure out what bite-sized training looks like. Right. Well, and I think it depends on the topic because some topics will lend themselves to 15 minutes and some we might say, well, that really takes 60 minutes. So for example, 15 minutes might be working with our new client service representatives on medical terminology sure. uh, or something like, you know, let's talk about vaccines for dogs and cats. What are the basic vaccines in dogs and cats? We could cover that, give them some handouts, do some oral quizzes or even a five uh, question quiz. We could we could do that in 15 minute chunks. Now, something like your example of angry clients, I think is going to take longer than 15 minutes. But the key there would be what what's our what's our training resource? So when I approach training, I like to think about it as three major buckets. We have the okay. organizational bucket. So the organizational bucket is how am I going to stay organized? Uh, I might have a checklist, for example, you know, to check people off as they learn. I might have a, a schedule of, you know, what they're doing week one, week two or whatever. So I have some organizational 
uh, tools to, to keep, uh, to, to know what's going on with, with our other well, team members. Then the second part of it is what is the actual training resource? So the training resource could be, we're going to review an article. So for example, and this is, you know, a little self-serving on my part, but I have, and as you have, and all the other speakers and consultants, all our friends and colleagues, we have all these articles that we sure. write. Well, most of these articles that we write have key takeaways and they could be used as a training tool. Yeah. So you could take an article, you could take a short video, you could take a, uh, you know, just um, a section of a book, you know, whatever it is, or, or you could have somebody who has expertise in that area. Maybe there's that one doctor in the practice who can charm any client, you know, they yeah. are great uh, because they have skills in that area. Or maybe you do bring someone in from the outside. So that that's your resource. Could be webinars and articles and books and podcasts. And so we have that, and that's that's the training tool. Yeah. And then on the on the the last bucket is how are we going to measure retention? So much of what happens with training is we provide the training, but then there's no follow up um, to say, well, did this person learn it? So I love quizzes; those are so super easy. We can do oral, you know, Q and A with somebody. Um, <clears throat> Obviously, there are platforms that have more robust measurements. But so that's how you um, that would be how you would get organized and keep that laser focus. So you have to you have to adapt the time element to whatever the topic is. But I think if everyone would look at it as 15 minute increments all the way up to 90 minutes max and recognize that it doesn't have to be the whole team. It could mm -hmm. be one person. It could be a couple of people. And we're going to do that at least uh, you know, sub multiple times per month. And, and we are going to have to block some time off, you know, sometimes yeah. in the schedule. I think that that's, um, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Also, I think you sort of, you gleaned over something I think was really important is it seems so obvious, but honestly, when you first said it, I was kind of like, Oh, hey, that's, that's true. The idea that you don't have to have the whole team there together. And I think yeah. a lot of us imagine because it's how we've been trained. It's like, well, the whole team gets together and they have a staff meeting. And that's how you do it. And you go, uh, you know, it's fine. You, if there's three people that need to know how to do a thing, you can right. just get those three people and exactly. do the thing. And, and I think a lot of us don't think that way. We don't pull people aside and do, a, you know, a group of four people training uh, and, and then go on, even though it's so much easier to fit into a day. Yeah. And don't forget standing meetings, Andy. I am a huge proponent of standing meetings. So remember, we have the standing meetings like the daily huddle. I, okay. I always advocate for a daily huddle. But you can use standing meetings for training, too, as long as it is those 10 to 15, or not 10, say 15 to 20 minute session. Again, something that can and even those can even be somewhat impromptu. Uh, but it, but ideally, we would try to schedule those as well. Yeah, that 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 absolutely makes sense. Hey everybody, this is Stephanie and I'm going to jump in here for one quick second and make sure that you know about a few things that are coming up that I'm pretty sure you're not going to want to miss. But before I do that, I have to say thank you. Thanks to a generous gift from our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital, we are now able to provide transcripts for all of our podcast episodes and we have to just say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Andy and I have wanted to make the podcast more accessible and when we were pondering the idea of how do we make transcripts a thing, our our friends at Banfield stepped up in a big way and said, hey, we are striving to increase accessibility and inclusivity across the profession. This fits with that mission for us and we would love to sponsor it. So the 2022 podcast episodes are all now 
being transcribed and brought to you by our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital. To check out the transcript and find out more about what Banfield is doing to increase accessibility and inclusivity across the vet profession, head over to unchartedvet.com forward slash blog and you can find each one of the podcast episodes and a link to find out more about equity, inclusion, and diversity at Banfield. And now there is something coming up that you're not going to want to miss. And unlike Andy, I'm not just saying that because I'm the one teaching this upcoming workshop. That's right. At the end of June, I am teaching a workshop for all of you. And I am super pumped about this. This is a workshop that I just had the chance to do with our Uncharted community at our April conference in person. And it is called Teamwork Mind Melds. We are going to be talking about setting expectations for team communication, but it goes beyond setting expectations for the team communication. Really, we're going to talk about exercises and things that we can do to intentionally get the team to know each other, get on the same page, because when we're all on the same page and we know each other, having accountability conversations is a lot easier to do. So if this sounds like something you would be interested in, head on over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events, and you can sign up. It is June 29th, which is a Wednesday It's going to be at 8.30 Eastern, so 5.30 Pacific, and it is $99 for people who are not currently Uncharted members. And as always, it's free for our members. I really hope to see you there. And don't worry, we've got lots more coming later this summer. So make sure to save the events page and come on back regularly because we've got lots of good stuff coming at you. And now back to the podcast. Let's switch this around a little bit. So we talked about team building from the from the training side. Let's talk about team building from the cohesion side and getting people who are possibly burned out, who maybe feel overwhelmed, to come to a place where they feel supported, where they where they feel sort of psychologically safe. Uh, to you know to to talk about how they're feeling or how things are going, to get feedback to each other. How, how do how do we how do we get into that? Uh, how do we get into that headspace? I guess with a team today. Yeah. And I think that um, the first thing that jumps into my mind is that the question is, what are you trying to achieve? I think we look at team building people in general, and it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. just our profession. I think we tend to look at team building two ways. We may look at it and say, well, we need to boost morale. So we're going to have, you know, a barbecue or we're going to have a Mm -hmm. night of bowling or we're going to have uh, a lunch, you know, and, and cake in the, in the break room or whatever. So we, yeah. we do those sort of things. And then sometimes people look at team building as something a little more involved. It might be escape room or a ropes course or, you know, those kinds of things. And there's nothing wrong with all of those events. And they do tend to bring morale up and everybody feels better and gets together. And there's that sense of, of camaraderie, but there's no real purpose typically to those types of events. I think what you're going through or what you're referencing is how do we do team building to have a certain outcome? So I think the first step is, well, what is the outcome we're trying to achieve? Is that we want everybody to learn some communication skills so how they can communicate better with each other on those stressful days so we're not snapping at each other uh, and, and, and being defensive and, or maybe saying something unkind. Maybe that would be a goal. Um, another team building might be um, literally figuring out roles and responsibilities, you know, getting the team's feedback and saying, well, where um, are our breakdowns and communication and what sort of systems do we need to put in place? Not this big, huge, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to make this great system, but um, some protocols maybe, you know, it may be one protocol that we need that would help us all work together better. Uh, so that's what we want to figure out is, 
how to, what, what are we trying to achieve with the team? Right. What does the team need in order to have more cohesion? So I think that's the starting point and then figuring out, well, what are the resources that we have for that? And sometimes it's as simple. I think one of the easiest takeaways that I could give you for improving teams working together that requires no resources whatsoever that somebody could listen to this podcast and do within, you know, whatever time that, you know, say a week or so, mm-hmm. do they just have to schedule it would be group problem solving. And so okay. I don't think people necessarily think, well, that's a team building exercise. But, you know, if you think about it, really, it is. So when yeah. I do group problem solving, when I go on site with my clients, uh, we'll take a topic and <clears throat> it might be uh, client wait times. You know, those are getting out of control. What what are our solutions to 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 decrease client wait times? It might be something like we can never find uh, charts. You know that may not be as common because so many people are paperless. But you know we can never find the lab requisitions or the charts or paperwork. You know whatever whatever the the problem is that the team is having. You know what would be the solutions? It might be something for training. You know, gosh, we've got these new hires. How can we improve training? <clears throat> so what I do is I break people up in groups of say three to six send them to different rooms in the practice and only give them like 20 minutes just to come up with their one best idea. What's one idea that you could bring back to the group that we could implement. So these aren't fully fleshed out, you know, everything's being solved. It's really about tapping into the creativity of the team uh, so that we can maybe get three or six good ideas rather than having group think take over and maybe have a negative gripe session if we just did it with everybody together. So the creative problem solving that can can really work, um, what I will tell you is that I always make sure that I look at the makeup of the team. So for example, we don't want all the CSRs together or all the doctors together because there's no diversity then to the team. Yep. Uh, so if I know that there are any clicks within the practice or, you know, I'll break people up so that we have diversity of and can get the best ideas and get people working together. So that helps with team building it, um, in really in two ways, if you think about it, because one way is we get these great ideas that gets the team working together better uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, solving a problem. But the other thing it does is it gets people Um, working together better in terms of how they're viewing somebody. So it can break down some of the conflict because someone can go, oh, well, okay, now I see their perspective. They have some good ideas. And generally, they'll come back to the center group with more than one good idea. So that's a really simple way to do team building and not have to hire some fancy facilitator in a big venue. Um, But I think that so the key really is what problem are you trying to solve? What does your team need most? And then matching up the resources that you might be able to take advantage of to accomplish those goals. You mentioned uh, gripe sessions. You know, having people, I don't want this to become a gripe session. I know you hear this all the time. I, I think a lot of people uh, have uh, uh, some sort of a fear that if they open these sessions up to their team and say, let's talk, let's collaborate, they're going to hear about how people messed up and this isn't working and this is a problem and clients yeah. always do these things that drive us nuts and blah, blah, blah. Do you have, uh, do you have ways that you avoid uh, these sort of open collaborative meetings going in those negative directions? Because I know a lot of people worry about it. Yeah. And I, and I, I have no problem avoiding a gripe session, but the the key is whoever is leading the meeting Mm -hmm. does need to have skills and facilitation. And there are 
obviously millions of articles and books you could read about facilitation. But really what it comes down to is, first of all, who's leading this meeting? And we want to make sure we have the right person leading the meeting. So that's not necessarily a practice owner. Ideally, that would be the practice manager, but it could be somebody else. But whoever is leading the meeting needs to know how to facilitate such that we don't have a gripe session. So what happens is they have to, what we do is we, we ask the team for feedback. You know, what do you, let's say it is client wait times. What do y'all think we should do to decrease client wait times? And so then what happens is everybody starts complaining about the clients. Well, as soon as the facilitator notices that that is going that way, where we're playing the blame game, whether we're blaming clients or each other or whatever, that's when they say, hey, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're getting off track here. So as soon as the team starts to go off track and they're either rehashing and recycling and saying the same thing over again, nothing new is being said. Then the facilitator steps in and says, I'm not hearing anything new. Let's get back on track. Or you could even say, gosh, it seems like maybe we're getting you know, off track here and maybe in, in a negative space. So I'm going to rein you. I'm going to bring you all back in. And then what happens is we ask you know, for more problem solving. Let's come up with um, a couple of key solutions that we could agree on. So it really is about facilitation because left to their own devices, people may go to complaining because they're hurting, because they're unhappy. So that's, it really is about facilitation. Uh, Almost any group, if you can facilitate, you know, and facilitation is getting everybody's ideas. We don't want to shut anybody down. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing you can do that will help with facilitating and so it doesn't turn into a gripe session is to have people write something down before you ask them to share verbally because then that forces everybody to participate. They have to write something down and then we can do a group share because if you just say, well, let's talk about client wait times, then everybody's off to the races and nobody's written anything down. So that is another way that you can help it, you know, from becoming a gripe session. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are your thoughts on uh, a recent push that I have seen and I get it, um, there's there's a lot of practices I think that are very much struggling with um, with morale just because it's been a lot of work for a long time uh, and, and I, I hear it said a number of different ways. There's people who say, you know, what do I do to sort of try to build a positive culture? People say, what do I do to to help uh, bring the team together and in- improve morale? There's some people who say, how do I train for resilience? Which I think is morale is kind of what they're getting to. I don't know that they're really talking about resilience, but but I, I'm sure you hear kind of all that same sort of sort of headspace and, and questions. Can you speak a little bit to, to sort of what team training and, and team building look like in that place where we're trying to we're trying to keep people's uh, spirits up in a time when a lot of people are tired and uh, and and I think that's true outside of our profession as well. I think I think everybody is tired. Yeah. And I guess first, what I would say is that is a big topic that doesn't have one single answer. I'm going to do this and everything's going to be okay. So first of all, you're in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. And what you have to remember when you're in it for the long haul is that fundamentally, we have to look at culture. In other words, there's no one fix. Well, we're going to do this and then our culture is going to be good. It's collectively what are significant action steps that we could take. And it takes time to develop a culture. This could be a one or two year project. Now, that's a little bit 
um, overwhelming. I appreciate. So it's important then to say, well, what are specific actions that will get us where we want to go ultimately? And I, I would say several things to think about. I do think that the leadership team, whether that's, you know, the it doesn't matter if you're privately owned, corporately owned, whoever the leadership structure is, the leadership team does need to avail themselves of outside resources, such as those from the AVMA mm-hmm. that has, you know, invested quite a bit of money and time and, and you know, and energy into, into making resources available for veterinary practices. So we have an actual well-being program. And that's where I think the, the resiliency and um, looking at are, do we have self-care for the actual leadership team? Do we have self-care for the entire team? Availing ourselves and saying, okay, this is our hospital program. But then individually, we have to look at the team and say, well, what can we do on a regular, let's say weekly basis to keep, uh, to, to keep morale up, to keep spirit up? And I think sometimes we need to think about this not only as the big picture, which is this culture and that, you know, that's really a a huge undertaking, but just whatever is really simple. It could be something as simple as taking five minutes in a standing meeting to do a quick debrief, you know, tell me what you're feeling and just allow people to have their feelings. Uh, It could be even, it doesn't even have to be five minutes. It could be two or three minutes. It's like, Oh wow, this has been a really hard day. You know, we lost Scooter today and Mrs. Jones yelled at us and, oh, my gosh, you know, we, not everybody's here. You know, do that five minute powwow. It could be playing an upbeat song, you know, the dance it out kind of concept uh, that. But, you know, joke of the day, um, having a whiteboard or poster board somewhere in the hallway that people can doodle and uh, draw on. A lot of those were types of ideas that. Certainly I promoted and I think other people did or in the first year of the pandemic and beyond. Mm-hmm. I think we have to remember that even though we're sort of coming out of the pandemic, you know, relative to caseload and yep. we're not, you know, doing all those protocols, there still is these tremendous effects on us as a profession because we still have teams that are overworked, stressed, uh, sometimes still, uh, you know, understaffed. So we still have to look at on a weekly basis, what are those small actions that we can take to support people? And I think one of the biggest actions that sometimes gets overlooked is to give people a voice, to allow them that avenue. You know, maybe that's that, you know, 30 minute town hall meeting that we're going to do twice a month, you know, where people are just talking about how they're feeling. So they have that opportunity to support. So it's kind of that idea, I guess, Andy, of creating a sense of community within your own practice. Uh, I don't have I don't have a lot of easy answers. Uh, And I think some practices are going to have to try different action steps and see what works best for their team. Uh, I think that also we have to, as a profession, embrace that what happened when my dad was practicing and what happened when I was practicing doesn't work anymore. And what I mean by that is not allowing people to have it's not so much about allowing, but letting it happen where people don't have lunches and they're expected to, you know, oh, you don't have a good work ethic if you don't work 40 hours a week or whatever. I think those times are gone. And, you know, it's interesting, Andy, my father, I thought about this recently, had trouble with stress uh, when I was growing up and actually went into the hospital because he had a headache that wouldn't go away for about two weeks. And after that, he started taking a day off. But what's really interesting for the entire rest of his career, he had a two hour lunch hour. Two hours. Yeah. Left the practice. And he was a solo practitioner. 
Now, you know, sometimes I imagine people would go, well, we couldn't possibly do that, you know, but I'm thinking to myself, you know, he had a really successful, busy practice and for years and he took, I mean, and there was occasional times when he didn't get his two hours, but he almost always got his two hours. And now we wouldn't even think about doing that. So I think it's rethinking those strategies because we know, you know, veterinarians in particular do not want to work the same schedules. You know, they want more flexibility. They want fewer hours and that sort of thing. So we do have to embrace, you know, all of these different um, action steps for self-care and resiliency. I do think, even though I'm sort of like you and I don't always like everybody throwing around the word, you know, resiliency, it's like, what does that mean? It is a good word though, because it's, resiliency i think is is being able to navigate bad things happen Mm -hmm. but i can still you know get through yeah and and there are i think we also have to realize we have limits we you know we are most of us are not therapists and i use a component of therapy but we're not therapists and so we still have to i think a lot of it is about empowering the actual individuals that work for us you know and, and you know really promoting self-leadership, which I talk about in the book yeah. and accountability that people have choices. Yeah, I no, I, I completely agree with that. I guess my, my, I think you and I are in the exact same place on resiliency and resiliency training. I, I think, I think it's, I think it's important. I think it's vital that we're able to sort of shake things off and bounce back. At the same time, I think it's really critically important that when we talk about wellness and keeping people safe, it's when we talk about resilience as the answer, it's kind of like, I'm going to teach you how to suck it up uh, during <laughs> while, while things don't get any better and management doesn't support you. And I go, right. well, that's not what we're talking about either. Of course, uh, it is a school, a, a tool in the toolbox. It shouldn't be exactly. resiliency. Should not be your well, only coping strategy. That's that's a bleak place to be. Well, right, because it's it sort of implies that you, it, it's a really deep topic because resiliency is something that people gain typically over time. Yes. A lot of times people, I consider myself one of the resilient, you know, most people, most people who are close to me and know me that I've been through a tremendous amount of grief mm. in the last four years. Um, and so I consider myself highly resilient, but, you know, it, that, it was a process, you know, right. to get here. One of the things that I did not mention yet, Andy, that is a huge um, theme in my book that I always advocate with all of these different programs is not losing sight of what the core values of the practice are. Because the question is, why are we doing this? Why, why are we doing this? Why are we coming to work? What are, we, and you know, mm-hmm. so that's about the mission statement too, but you know, why are we doing this? What's it all about? Uh, because it's, it's all about patients and clients. That's why we do what we do, at least, because if you're not, if that's not your why of coming to work, then you may not be in the right profession. But all of the core values, and whether it's, teamwork, integrity, compassion, whatever those are, if we can weave those into all of our programs, that really taps into the why we're doing this. And I think people, we need to continue to remind them why we're doing this. What, you know, I just gave a, a, a presentation last night and talked about angry clients mm-hmm. and, and how do you dig deep? How do you really find that level of patience with somebody that's standing in front of you yelling? And it is about promoting and, and thinking about, well, why are we doing this? It is about compassion and the human pet bond and that sort of thing. So I think we have to, we don't want to just play lip service to that. Yeah. It's, it's about genuine, authentic. That's why those standing meetings and sharing success stories and keeping people connected to the meaning behind the practices is just 
vitally important. Now, I think that's a great place to end this. I think that's fantastic. Uh, Dr. Amanda Donnelly, your book, Leading and Managing Veterinary Teams, The Definitive Guide to Veterinary Practice Management is out now. I'll put a link in the show notes. Is there other places that people can find the book? Nope, it's a, it's on Amazon, so it's real easy. Uh, people, obviously, there's links on my website and whatnot, but no, just going to Amazon, whether you put the name of the book in or just even my name, um, it's it'll come up real easy. Where can people find you online to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so my website is amandadonleydvm.com. Perfect. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Guys, uh, thanks a lot for being here, everybody. Thanks for listening. Dr. Amanda Donnelly, thank you so much for being with me, my friend. Uh, I uh, appreciate the heck out of you. I love what you have done for the profession and what you continue to do. Back at you, Andy. Thanks, guys. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.